Thanks, John. Really good to see you guys, Harbor family. And uh, we're launching a new series this week. You can see it there called Seek. We're going to take a quick four-week break from our walk through 1 Corinthians. And we're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount in a few different sections and looking at the, st- the things that we seek in life, because there's a lot of things that we seek. Uh, maybe this summer you were seeking some revenge travel because you had some big epic trip that you were going to take in 2020, and it got canceled, and then in 2021, it got canceled again, and then in 2022, again, and so finally, you're like, we can go, and so this summer, you just went and had the time of your life. You were just seeking this epic experience. Uh, Maybe this fall, you're seeking a new season of life. You're starting at a new school or starting a new job. You're just looking forward to this new phase of life. There's all kinds of things that we seek. When I was starting to work on this sermon, I started searching in Google, seek, and I love how autocomplete just helps you out and shows you what other people are searching for along those lines. So it started auto-completing for me, and the first thing that came up was seek jobs. That was interesting. Apparently, none of us are satisfied with our job right now. We're all looking for a new job. Second one was seek meaning. Apparently, None of us know what the meaning of life is, so we're seeking some kind of purpose and fulfillment and meaning in life. And then third, this was a little interesting, was seek first the kingdom of God, and I'm pretty sure Google put that there because they know I'm a pastor, and they know that's just a really pastory thing to search for, and I was like, dang it, they got me, because that's exactly what I was about to search for, because we seek all kinds of things in life, but look at what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. He says, don't worry saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Yeah, we seek all kinds of things in life. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Those were legitimate questions in those days. Most people lived in poverty. They legitimately had no idea where their next meal might come from. A lot of times. For most of us, that's just not the case. It's not a question of if we're going to eat. It's a question of how well we're going to eat, right? It's a question of whether we'll get morio sushi or we'll have to to settle for genki sushi. That's, That's the kind of questions we're dealing with usually. Most of us have our basic needs met. We're not searching for, for basic necessities like food and shelter and clothing. We are the people searching on Google for meaning in life seeking fulfillment, seeking happiness. And Jesus says, all of these things will be added to you. God will take care of all of these things if you seek his kingdom first. Then everything else you're looking for in life, it'll just come naturally. Seek God's kingdom and the other things will just follow. Maybe like, okay, sounds nice, but what does it mean to seek God's kingdom? What does that really mean? Well, here at Harbor Church, we've boiled it down to four R's. You see three of them out in the lobby on the neon sign because we couldn't fit the fourth on the neon sign. But the four R's are refuge, redemption, resurgence, and God's renown. That's how we seek God's kingdom. That's how you experience God's kingdom, by seeking refuge in the family of God and then seeking redemption through the gospel of God and then seeking resurgence through the mission of God. And if you're seeking those three things, then what you're naturally going to be doing is seeking the renown of God. You'll be seeking the kingdom of God. You're like, okay, that's nice. That's cute, four R's. 
That sounds cool, but I still don't know what that looks like in real life. What does it mean to seek God's renown, seek God's kingdom when I'm stressed out at work, when I'm at home with my family, when I'm chilling with my friends? What does that really look like? Well, Jesus is going to tell us exactly what that looks like in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. So let's pray, and then we'll dig in. Father, thank you so much for your word and for the, the guidance that it gives us, the encouragement that it gives us, and the hope that it gives us. Lord, you know us better than, than we know ourselves. You know that we are seeking so many things in life. And you know that we're just not going to be satisfied by any of them. Not ultimately. And so thank you for offering yourself through your son, Jesus. Through his perfect life, substitutionary death, glorious resurrection, and loving reign. Thank you for offering us yourself through your Holy Spirit who now lives inside of us. Help us to seek you and your presence and power all because of Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you got your Bible, hope you do, open to Matthew chapter 5. You at least have a device. You can hit Bible somewhere and hit Matthew 5 somewhere on that. And we're going to start at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount to see what it really looks like to seek God's kingdom, to seek God's renown. And as we start in the Sermon on the Mount, what's called the Beatitudes, you're going to see one word over and over again. It's the word blessed. You're going to see that all over the place. The Greek word for blessed is the word makarios, which just means happy. Just happy. That's all it means. When you seek God's kingdom, when you seek God's renown, you're also seeking your own happiness. It's the best secret in life. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 3. Matthew 5, 3. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Family, that is a lot of blessing, yeah? A lot of happiness. This is how you find it right here. This is how you find happiness. There's your guide. You'll be like, well, that, that sounds a little complicated. Sounds like a lot of commitments. What if I'm already pretty happy? I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of okay right now. That might be what you think because here in Hawaii, when we look at the rankings of state happiness, almost every year Hawaii ends up at the top, right? You've seen that. Many, many years, Hawaii lists as the happiest state in the nation. And they've got some really solid statistics behind it. Like, we have the second lowest rate of depression in the nation. We've got the fourth lowest divorce rate. And then this one was interesting. I'm not sure exactly how it connects, but we get the least amount of sleep out of any state in America. I don't know how that makes us happy. Like, maybe we're just so happy we can't wait to wake up and see how the, the day is going to go for us. We just know it's going to be awesome. Maybe that's it. I don't know. But relatively speaking, we're happy people. And if you go up to the mainland, you see that, right? You, you see how unhappy the rest of our country is. I had to drive the LA freeways this summer, and man, people are very unhappy on the LA freeways. 
You'll be driving 80 in the slow lane, and you still got people flashing their brights at you, man. They are not driving with Aloha. They are not happy people on the LA freeways. A couple of years ago, my family was in New York on a stopover, and we decided to go escape the airport and get a New York bagel. So we went like downtown Manhattan, went to this bagel place that got the best reviews. And uh, I'm paying at the cashier, and he goes, hey, where are you guys visiting from? And I asked, well, how did you know that we're visiting? And he looks at me, and he snorts. And he's like, because you're all smiling, pal. <laughs> Apparently, nobody smiles in New York, ever. So yeah, we are happy people, relatively speaking. Relatively speaking. But I still talk to people all the time who feel like they could be happier. I still talk to people all the time who feel like if only certain things changed in life, their happiness level could go up. Most of us think that our happiness depends on our circumstances. If only this happens, then I'll be happy. The English word happiness actually comes from the word happening. We think we'll be happy if things happen the way we want them to happen. But Jesus says happiness doesn't come from your happiness, from your happy, happenings. It doesn't come from your condition. True happiness depends on your connections. It depends on your vertical connection with God and your horizontal connections with the people around you. Jesus says you can be happy even if you don't have the career that you want even if you don't have the house that you want, even if you don't have the husband that you want, you can still be happy because Jesus was single and jobless and homeless and he was the happiest person who ever lived. Happiness doesn't depend on your condition. It depends on your connections, your relationship with your Father in heaven and your relationships with the people around you, just like Jesus. He showed us how to live a life of fulfillment by seeking God's renown, seeking intimacy with his heavenly father, and then seeking healthy relationships with the people around. That's how you find the kind of happiness Jesus had. That's how you seek God's renown. Here's how you do it. He's listing it out in these Beatitudes here. First, you seek dependence. That's what the, the first few Beatitudes are all about. You start with your vertical connection, your vertical relationship with God. Because Jesus says first, Blessed are the people who are poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. That's the people who don't feel like they've got it all together. People who don't feel like they've got everything they need to make it in life. People who are poor in self-sufficiency and, and independence. Now, I know most of us have a goal in life of becoming rich in self-dependence, right? We, we don't like to depend on other people, other things, other institutions. We, we want to just depend on ourselves. But Jesus says, you're blessed when you see your insufficiency, right? Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. It's the weary and the worn out people that Jesus wants, the people who've traded their independence for desperate dependence on him. That's what Jesus means when he says, blessed are those who mourn. Yet you mourn when you finally figured out that you can't dominate life on your own. You mourn when you finally figure out you, you can't kill your sin and self-destructive habits all on your own. And that's what leads you to depend on God. 
Because Jesus says, blessed are the humble. Humble people aren't self-reliant people. They're not self-promoting people. They're not pretentious people. And I know here in Hawaii, we, we don't stand for pretentious people. Anybody who tries to lift themselves up, somebody's going to knock them down pretty quick, right? Because they're all high and makamaka. We're not going to let that stand for very long. And so what we learn is to be pretentious inside. We, we learn to hide our pretentiousness. I just keep it to myself how much better I think I am than you. I, I just don't let you know about it. But seeking God's renown, that means killing my pride because I know I'm exactly the same as you. I'm a sinner in need of God's grace. Which is why Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because they've discovered that there's nothing else in this world that can fill their hunger apart from God. We're all hungry. We're all hungry. And over time, we discover that the things in this world just don't fit and fill our hunger. We discover that money doesn't fill us. That success doesn't fill us. We discover that romance doesn't fill us and sex doesn't fill us. And so at some point, we come to the end of our rope and we say, God, you got to fill me. You've got to fill me because nothing else in this world fills me. That Chick-fil-A drive through that I thought was going to be epic, it doesn't fill me, Lord. I need something else. And when we say that, God says, I got you. I got you. I I'll give you everything you need. Here's my word. Read it. Just read it, and you'll be filled. You'll be satisfied. Here's my spirit. Pray through my spirit, and you'll be filled. You'll be so satisfied. Here's my family. Connect with my family. Commit to my family, and you'll be filled. You'll be satisfied. And so that leads to the next big step that we can seek God's renown in. Number two, seek fellowship. Fellowship, that's really what Jesus is talking about in the second half of this list. The horizontal relationships that we've got with the people around us. Because Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. He's calling us to extend the same mercy to other people as he has extended to us. Like when your husband forgets that one thing that is so important for the 18th time, you've got a decision to make. You can either be mad or you can be merciful. You've got to choose. When your friend flakes out at you, flakes out on you for the 18th time, you can be mad or you can be merciful. When your coworker leaves their lunch out on their desk all weekend long so it makes the whole office stink when everybody comes back on Monday. You can be mad or you can be merciful. That's a decision we've got to make all the time. And what Jesus says is merciful people are happy people. The happiest people in the world are the most merciful people in the world. And here's what leads to that. Jesus says blessed are the pure in heart. The pure in heart. And, and we're still talking in the context of relationships here. And so being pure in heart means being not so cynical about people. The older I get, the more tempted I am to be cynical towards people. Because the more people you meet, the more of people's junk you see. And, and you're like, oh, I, I'm just going to start assuming 
that everybody's terrible. But that's not the way God operates. He, he is, when it comes to us, his children, Jesus is advocating for us every day, speaking the best of us before the Father. Man, when we come to our brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to believe the best of them the same way Jesus does. Why wouldn't we? Instead of assuming the worst, assume the best. And then you'll see what Jesus is talking about when he says, blessed are the peacemakers. The peacemakers. And he's not just talking about you going out and, and making peace between two friends who've been scrapping. He, he is talking about that, but not just that. He's also talking about making peace when you're the one who's been scrapping with somebody. He's talking about a big step that you got to make. Going, hey, I value this relationship more than I value my rights. I value this relationship more than I value being right. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, we, we heard it a couple weeks ago, why not rather be cheated? That's a, that's a crazy thing to say. Why not rather be cheated? Sometimes we've got to value friendships over the things that we think will be fair for us. Sometimes we've got to value relationships more than our rights. And Jesus knows that's not always going to end well for us. A lot of times it won't end well for us. And so that's why he says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Yeah, sometimes you'll extend mercy and make peace, and it's not going to turn out for your good. You'll be persecuted by the world, at work, by friends, by family. It might not end well. And then he just keeps riffing on that. Look at what he says in verse 11. He says, you're blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that's how they persecuted the prophets who are before you. Yet, if you're poor in spirit and dependent on Jesus, if you're merciful and pure and you're working towards peace, you might be persecuted. You might. Because the reality is, True peacemakers don't always make things more peaceful. Not always. Because true peacemakers pursue principled peace. They don't just ignore wrongs and offenses, sins. They're not afraid to call out sin, but then they respond with grace. Because Jesus says in Luke 17, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Making peace, it doesn't mean ignoring offenses. It means forgiving offenses. If your brother sins, rebuke him. But if he repents, forgive him. Now, the thing is, some people don't respond well to, to either of those. Some people respond to rebuke with retribution. And, and some people respond even to mercy with a doubling down on their meanness, okay? Okay? So Jesus says here, you're blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. You're blessed. We're like, okay, how is that even possible? Why? Because that's how they persecuted the prophets who are before you. If you experience blowback because of the mercy and grace that you've extended, Jesus says you're blessed because you'll be able to hang with the prophets in heaven who experience the same thing. I mean, think about it. Ezekiel was stoned to death by his brothers and sisters 
so was Jeremiah. Isaiah was sawn in half by the king of Judah. And when you make it to heaven, all those guys are going to be like, respect, all right? They're going to look at you and go, hey, you experienced the same things we did. Maybe at a slightly different level. Maybe you didn't get sawn in half, okay. But you get to hang with us because you were merciful and pure. You tried to make peace and you got persecuted as a reward. That's something you can anticipate in the future that'll help you endure the agony of whatever this world throws at you. Whatever the people at work throw at you, whatever your friends throw at you, whatever your family might throw at you. And then look at the effect you're going to have when you live this way. Jesus continues in verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You're salt. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And I know that's a verse that preachers love to quote. If you've been in church for a while, you've heard that verse a thousand times before. And usually preachers will come up with all kinds of ideas of what it means to be the salt of the earth. Like, oh, well, well salt was a preservative in those days, and so we're supposed to preserve the morality of the world around us and other preachers will be like no 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 no. salt was used as a fertilizer and so we need to prepare the ground of people's hearts to receive the gospel something like that and other preachers will be like no no salt was used as a purifying agent so we need to purify the people who are around us so much purifying needs to be done other people will be like no 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 salt was a flavoring agent so we're here to make the world taste good? I don't know where they go with that. I, I, don't, I don't know what you do with that one. But all those things, that, that might be true. Probably is true. But there's another characteristic of salt that most people don't think about. But all of us who live Hawaii, we know it really well. What does salt do to everything in Hawaii? Destroys it, right? Destroys. If you surf, you know you got to rinse off your board after every session or else the salt will just eat that board away. If you live windward side, you know the trade winds bring the salt air and that destroys everything in your house. You know that. Your laptop, your clothes, your furniture, your car. Salt destroys everything. We know that well. And guess what? The people who are listening to Jesus, they would have known it really well too because they didn't live very far from the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is the saltiest body of water on earth. Okay, the ocean water in Hawaii, you know what the saltiness level is of our ocean water? It's about 35 parts per thousand. You know what the saltiness level of the Dead Sea is? 300 parts per thousand. Ten times saltier than the ocean. So they couldn't put any boats in the Dead Sea or else they'd just rot away in a week. They couldn't build any structures next to the Dead Sea, no houses, except out of stone. It was the only material you could use. And then you couldn't put anything inside the house that you weren't willing to just give up within a year because it would all just melt away from all the salt around. That's why only hermits and monks and outlaws lived next to the Dead Sea. The salt destroyed everything. So yeah, salt can have a preserving effect, but it can also have a destructive effect. And so what Jesus is really saying here is salt is just supposed to have some kind of effect. That's all he's saying. It's supposed to make an impact on whatever it touches. And so here's the third way. we got to seek God's renown. Seek impact. 
impact. Salt isn't neutral. It's not an inert substance. It's going to have some kind of reaction, going to have some kind of effect on everything it touches. And that's what Jesus is trying to say about you. If you're poor in spirit, if you're hungering for righteousness, if you're showing mercy, if you're fighting for peace, then you're going to have an effect on people. You just will. You're going to make an impact on people. And Harbor Family, I've been really stoked to see you guys doing that. Legitimately. A little while ago, I was talking to a dude who was visiting Harbor for the very first time. It was his first week. And he works at Whole Foods right here. So I was like, oh, did you like, see our sign when you're on your way to work? He's like, no. I was like, oh, so how did you find out about our church? He said, well, every Sunday that I'm working, around 11.15, 11.30, there's this big group of people that comes in. And they are the kindest, most patient, most gracious group of customers I ever deal with all week. So after a few weeks of this, finally I had to ask them, where are you guys coming from? And they said, Harbor Church. And so I had to come check it out for myself, see what this place was all about. That's so incredible. You guys are making an impact. You are being salty. Praise the Lord for that. Here's why that's happening. Look at verse 14. Jesus says, you're the light of the world. That's why you're making an impact. You're the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. You're the light of the world. Now, here's the thing. In John 8, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light. Apparently, though, Jesus is not content to be the only one shining out there all by himself. Apparently, he wants to spread his luminescence all over the rest of us. Kind of like when my kids were small and we'd give them glow sticks. The girls... The girls would just wave them around and enjoy the pretty light. They would have fun with the glow sticks. The boys, they would do that for about three minutes, and then they'd break those glue, the, the glow sticks in half and pour them all over themselves. And so their hands would be glowing, their clothes would be glowing, their hair would be glowing. They'd just, all of them be glowing in the dark, and that's what Jesus is saying about you. That's what Jesus wants for us. This is how you seek God's renown. Number four, seek radiance. Radiance, because Jesus has poured out his glow stick all over you. He's poured out his love and his grace and his truth and his glory, and he wants all those things to radiate out from you, to shine out of you. I know maybe you're embarrassed about that. You don't like shining that much it's easier just to kind of fit in with the people around you it's easier to just laugh at the dirty jokes that everybody else on the job site is laughing at it's easier to just gossip about the boss like everybody else in the office is doing it's just easier that way you don't want to shine love and grace and truth and glory i mean it's is one thing for seven-year-old boys to glow in the dark that's not what grown-ups do We've learned to, to fit in. Jesus says, you're tempted to hide under a basket. You're still glowing. 
You can't stop that. The glow stick is all over you. There's nothing that can stop the glow, but you, you, you've learned how to smother the glow. Here's the thing. Jesus has said, you are salt. You are light. There's not a question about that. You are those things. But it's possible to lose the effectiveness as salt and light that you once had. Jesus said, salt loses its saltiness. Well, how could that happen? There's only one way for salt to lose its saltiness. Only one way. And that's if you dilute that salt in something much bigger. It's the only way. Like, if I had a spoonful of salt, and I grabbed your Yeti and poured that spoonful of salt in there and shook it up a little bit, you'd be able to taste that salt. It would be some salty water in there. But then if I took that same spoonful of salt and went up to the pool in your building, if you live around here, on your amenity deck, poured it out in your pool, nobody would ever be able to tell. It's just diluted beyond any recognition. So when you allow yourself to be absorbed into the culture around you, you become diluted. You lose your saltiness. You, you are salt. Nothing can change that. But you're not making an impact. You are light, but sometimes you hide your light. Sometimes you're ashamed of, of what people might think if they find out you're a Christian. Aren't all Christians bigots? Isn't the Bible full of hate speech? Well, the answer is no. And there's a really easy way that you can prove that to them. Look at what Jesus says in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. That they may see your good works. That they may see the way you love people and bless people and encourage people and and, and serve people. The way you display the gospel and proclaim the gospel, all with the goal that they will give glory to your Father in heaven. The goal is that your friends and family and coworkers and classmates would all glorify Jesus in the same way you do. And I know that's a big goal to have. There might be hundreds of people around you among your friends and family and coworkers and classmates. So what if we just boiled it down to one? What if there was just one person that you could focus on and pray for that person? Be intentional with that person to see them worship Jesus alongside you, glorify Jesus alongside you here on this earth and for eternity. I think that's the goal Jesus has for us. So here's number five. Here's how you seek God's renown. Seek one more. Just one more person to give glory to your Father in heaven. Just one. Because in the parables of Jesus, so many of them are about one lost sheep, one lost coin, one lost son. Jesus always wants just one lost person to be found. Just one more. Just one. And we want to help you take the initiative in reaching that just one. And so that's why we put certificates on your seat. They might be under your cole right now. I want you to pull them out right now. Wave them in the air so I know that you got them, okay? Okay, you got them. 
Here's what I want you to do. Write down the name of that one person that God has put on your heart who needs to meet Jesus. You can just write the first name and write that on both certificates. Here's why. You're going to take one of those certificates home and put it in a place where you'll see it, where you'll remember to pray for that person and remember to, to look for ways to take the initiative to display the gospel and proclaim the gospel to that person. The second copy, I want to ask you to put it in one of the trays around the auditorium. We've got them all around in the back. During the closing worship or on your way out, take that certificate, put it in there so that we can pray alongside you for that one more. So that we can pray alongside you that you'll be Jesus to that person. That you'll let your light shine before that person so they will give glory to your Father in heaven along with you. That they'll be saved they'll be baptized. If you notice the date on that certificate, it's one year from now. We want to be praying that that one person would be saved and baptized in the next 12 or 13 months. So let's pray for that to happen right now. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you pursued us, that you left your comfort and glory in heaven to seek us out when you came to earth. To be born in a stable, to live among us, and then to die for us. So that you could be resurrected for us and then reign over us with love and grace. Lord, thank you for seeking us out. Now, the only response we can have is to seek you out and then to seek out the good the people around us. To seek your glory, to seek your renown, and then to seek your blessing for the people that you've put in our lives. We pray for these one single individuals who are represented on these certificates right now. May they come to worship Jesus and be blessed by Jesus just as we are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.